Hey, John. Hi, Dan. So I, I need to start by asking you, how are you? A lot of people have written to me to ask how you are. Mm-hmm. How, what happened and, and how are you doing? Well, I am ailing. Mm. Uh, I have a slipped disc in my back. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, that's what we were worried about. Yeah, slipped disc. And um, I, I've met a uh, chiropractor and a uh, physical therapist okay. who are both just uh, uh, wonderful people, lovely people. And uh, I've undergone a, a, a s- several encounters with them. Let's see. I would say I've seen them three times. Okay. Um, I have not had an MRI or any uh, conventional doctor's appointment. Right. The, the chiropractor... Although he's a young man, seemed very confident in his in the practice of his trade, and he was like, you know, you are, what did he say? You are uh, presenting as having a slip disc. I could I could say it's you know four or five, and then he used some other doctor words or chiropractic words. Oh, like L L four or L five? Is that? Yeah, he okay. said it's like L five. Uh, you know, L five inducitive or something okay, like you know, sure. like just some made up word, right? And um, and so I've I've laid on the table, and he has. It's unclear to me. I've done quite a bit of research into the history of the chiropractic field, right? It recently, a, or or you know, over the course of your life, over the years, okay. And, you know, it has a a pretty hilarious origin story. (laughs) But also, there are other things, undeniable, which are like you are a physical being and physical entity and you have muscles and bones and chiropractic doctors acknowledge that and do things like put force and pressure on your body and all of those things seem right and sound good. You know, where where chiropractic medicine is hilarious is in its philosophies hmm. or, or theories, I guess. But I've, I was always suspicious of it because my best friend's dad growing up was an orthopedist, orthopedic surgeon. And this was in the early 80s. And he was, oh, so angry because uh, chiropractic, Dick medicine was expanding rapidly during that time and conventional doctors did not did not like it they didn't think it was real anyway my time in there has been like uh, it's it's uh, a lot to think about because yeah. I, I go I lay down um, he works on me I do feel an improvement right um, and there, he and the physical therapist are working together and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work I need to do to strengthen, but it's now Thursday, right? So right. it's been 10, 10, days that I've been in this condition and, and they're quite honest with me about the fact that when you have a slip disc, it's not just a thing you pop back in and are better. You have to, you have to go through a 
rehabilitation and it's going to hurt for a while. And, and, um, so I, I, so I haven't had the experience that you described or that some people have described where it's like you walk in, in pain and you walk out feeling great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been slowly making progress. It no longer is like sharp pain. It's now dull pain. Right. Well, th- I mean, for me that for years of feeling that way that I would categorize that as feeling great. Like anything that took it oh. down from, I don't need Advil and ice strapped with a second belt to my back to get from the car to the, to the door of the office. Uh, not needing that was feeling great. I just, I don't want you to feel like I went in there and like, I can't do anything. And I left like, let's go run and like grab my kid and gave her a piggyback ride or something like it's, it was improved. And, and I'm not saying that yours maybe sounds a little worse than what I had because it came like from a direct injury and mine didn't exactly, but um, I actually talked to my doctor here about it, and she said, no, you you did have a, I forget whether she called it a slip disc or a herniate, I think she called it a herniated disc, and uh, she said, Dan, you did have that, and she reminded me of when it happened, and I was, I had been carrying some boxes that were both large and very heavy, and walking like an idiot, walking with them across a long parking lot and then trying to open a door of a package store on my own. And I felt something like Mm. go and it was very pain. Yeah. And it was very painful. This was many years ago. And she reminded me of that and said that, you know, I never got anything for that ever, any care for that, but it was that plus the other issues compounded and it remained a problem. But I mean, so are you saying that you're, you are seeing some improvement in the pain level and the, how you feel and everything, or is it, uh, oh, well, you know, the, I understand that there's a lot of uh, when people go and they find a treatment for something and then later on reflect back on it. There's certainly a lot of hyperbolic talk about how, oh, shit, I was instantly cured. I hear that. I've heard that from a lot of people. Mm. And probably probably re- not with what you have, though, if, if you're having a, a oh, specific I, problem. I, right. I, I think a year from now. um I may tell this story and be like, and then I went to the doctor and was, you know, was <laughs> rapidly better. Uh-huh. But the, I, I think I've learned, this is all stuff I didn't know before, but I've, I've learned recently that, um, you know, a slip disc is not a, you're not consigned to having back problems the rest of your life. Right. It's a, uh, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, I, I hate to get wake up calls and I've been getting so many wake up calls lately. And this is another one, just like a, like an enormous wake up call, um, to that. It's time to spring into action. Mm. But, um, but I still am, you know, I'm still struggling. My back hurts all the time. I, I have a, like a small amount of nausea from the pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have, I have a very high pain threshold, so I know that it's, you know, when it manifests as feeling nausea, it's, you know, that's when I understand, that's when I really acknowledge that it's, that it's a a real thing, a real thing Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's not just like, oh, ow. Uh, 
but it's a long it's a long term project i think to get strong again and um and put myself in a position where i have the core strength i guess to not uh and also develop new habits and that's what's been hilarious for me on uh, my second meeting with the chiropractor he we went out for a walk and he said you know part of the reason that your spine has why this this thing has bulged out yeah is that you you sit a lot and i was like i do yeah he said you sit slumped Mm. i was like i do sit slumped and he said, but you walk uh, also sort of slouched. Did he point out the um, the thing with your arms, how their palms are facing? Did he notice well, that? So, so I said, you know, like, well, I, you know, I walk with this, um, this sort of signature palms facing back <laughs> yeah. um, kind of uh, caveman walk. And I get a lot of, I get a lot of shit for it. But it seems like it's my natural um, posture. And he said, well, stand up straight. And I kind of stood up. He was like, no, 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 stand up straight. And I was like, all right, here I am. And he's like, shoulders back. Mm -hmm. Shoulders back, all right. And he's like, chest out. I'm like, yeah, all right, chest out, here I am. And I'm at this point, I feel like I'm standing seven feet tall mm-hmm. and my shoulders are back and my chest is out, but I'm like, now I'm now I'm five feet wide. And I'm like, I can't stand like this. This is, it takes effort. It hurts. Well, no, no. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it does feel natural, but I've spent my entire life trying not to be this big, mm, you know, I, interesting. I, interesting. I slump over in order to like, not block other people who are standing behind me who are trying to see right and not like hover over people or tower over them you know i you're just you're just being considerate well and 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 just trying to yeah i mean if if i'm talking to somebody and we're having a tete a tete Mm -hmm. and i'm standing with my shoulders back and my and my, uh, you know, my back arched and my chest out. I can't hear them. They're all the way down there. Um, you know, I try, I, I gave a hug to somebody last night at this show I was at who is like a, a five foot tall person. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't bend over because my back is hurt. And they're like, that's fine. And I gave them a hug and like I had, I basically was like pressing their face into my belly button. And I, you know, I make a big, I make a big, a lot of, um, I make a lot of hay out of the fact that I'm big and I know that I'm not that big. It's not like I'm seven feet and, and 800 pounds, but, but standing up straight and, and really like, so the, the, the chiropractor is like, this is how your body wants to stand. This is how your back wants to be. Right. Yeah. This is how your lungs want you to be. This is how all your muscles want you to be. I've done that before walking down the street and just sort of suddenly realized like, Oh, I'm all slumped over and like stood all the way up and put my chest out and big breath of air. And all of a sudden you're just like 
ripping down the streets, like full of, it's, it's the same thing about if you're feeling sad and you smile, it just sort of makes you happier. Right. Just by virtue of smiling. Yeah. And it's like, if you stand up straight and take a big breath of air, you just feel better immediately. Yeah. But now he's saying like, do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Ikea that afternoon against my will as, as per usual. And I'm walking around <laughs> Ikea and you know, Ikea is a, is a, uh, it, there are all kinds of people at Ikea, right? It's there a are, rainbow yeah. coalition. A melting pot. Yeah. And so here I am walking around Ikea already, you know, a head taller than everybody else, but now chest out, shoulders back. And it's like, shit, all I need is a fucking pith helmet and a riding crop. I just feel like a, <laughs> I just feel like the fucking big white dude with all this, like, you know, uh, just taking up a lot of space. I have to kind of turn sideways to let to, I'm, I mean, I, did, I didn't have my normal sort of snaky wending through crowds thing where I just sort of, you know, yeah, I can yeah. move, move faster than other people, but don't inconvenience them by just sort of slipping in and out. And there was no slipping in and out. I was the, I was a fucking wall. And also I'm not agile in that posture. I'm, I'm very, I'm not robotic, but I'm just sort of like walking along like, wow, holy mm-hmm. cow. Mm-hmm. Like, this is really fascinating. And what was crazy is when I f- became fully erect, shoulders back, everything, my palms naturally rotated into the normal position. Fascinating. Pa- palms facing the legs. And I didn't know that. I had no I had no idea and he was and I told I was describing this to him as it was happening and he was like, "Yeah, well, look, you're you, the way you make yourself small is your your shoulders go forward. Um, you know, you 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 bend down kind of at the waist, right? Curve your spine forward and then bend your shoulders forward and you just kind of and then your hips like rotate forward somehow in order to, you know, to affect this strange like almost reclined position that you that you have walking around and so here i am and all of a sudden i'm standing i'm standing with my palms correct but i can't put my hands down to my sides because you know because my chest is wide and i and i'm not used to it somehow so it's like i've kind of it's like i've got these little uh wings now my uh, my arms are kind of like like fully a foot out from my, or my hands are a foot out from my legs. And, and my daughter was like pushing my arms against my legs and then letting go and then yeah. springing out. But it's all, it's all uh, body architecture stuff that I just have neglected my whole life because, because you know, it's another example of like, well, you feel like you're going to live forever. And even knowing that I should have better posture, it just didn't seem like something I needed to deal with right now. Mm-hmm. And now it is something I need to deal with and I need to uh, relearn some habit I've been practicing for 30 years. So right. for the last five, six days, I've been walking around consciously erect. Mm. Mm. Um Big and tall, shoulders back, even in my own house, but like sitting in a, when I sit in my 
I like, oh, oh, the other thing is, you know, I have this little Jetta that's kind of my around town car. I can't drive the Jetta. I he thought you had like a like a truck, like a oh, oh I do, I mean, forerunner or something, a truck and a Jetta, but the it's a forerunner. Come on, well, whatever, Tundra, suburban, suburban, yeah. No, it's not a Tundra. <laughs> uh, so, I, but I drove the <laughs> the Jetta to uh, to one of these appointments, and he said, "Walk me out to your car and show me how you get in that thing." And I was like, "Well, you know, it's sort of small car, but." I mean, it is a car. A right. And he probably car. watched you fold yourself down like a, like a Optimus Prime down, transform yourself down into a smaller shape. And he said, don't do that. Right. Well, not only that, but I like got, finally got into the car and he's just like, oh, this is awful. You know, and I get in there and the seats all the way down and all the way back uh, and reclined. OG and style. Head, and my head is still touching the ceiling <sighs> of the Jetta. And if I sat up erect, yeah. like shoulders back, chest yeah. out. My head would, I would have to like lean to the right and, and my head would go over into the sunroof hole. <laughs> and the, so the chiropractor's like, you can't drive this car. Right. There's, there's no room in this car for you. And, you know, again, I like, I have friends that are a lot bigger than me. I'm not the biggest person, but big enough, I guess, to not be able to drive a Jetta. So now I'm driving the truck and in the, in the truck, for sure, I can sit all the way up. I can sit all the way up wearing a top hat because right, it's sure. a different style of uh, vehicle. Um, but now I don't know. You know, I look out at that poor little car and I'm like, oh, the little sporty cars for a little for little sporty people. Um, so I've got to make a lot of alterations if I'm going to if I'm going to reset some of these patterns. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think the primary reset is that I have to start working out again. We've been talking about this for months and I've been thinking about it for years. Uh, but it's, it's no longer working out like it was when I was 25 to like slim down and, and, uh, you know, get buff or whatever right. it is, whatever your motivation is when you go to the gym when you're 18, you know, right. now you it's want just like, like big guns or something. Yeah, I never wanted big guns, but I did want to be like strong. Yeah. But now it's much more like you need to you need to go to the gym in order to um, stay strong and not because the chiropractor, of course, they're always they can't help themselves. They are telling their story all the time. Um. You know, when I first walked in, he was like, well, there are two approaches here. One of them is conventional medicine where you would be given pain medication. And I was like, let me stop you right there. You don't have to sell chiropractic on me. I'm here. Right. Right. Like I don't, obviously if I wanted to go get pain medication, I wouldn't go to a chiropractor. And he's like, right, 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 right. But you know, like he, there's always that little bit of proselytizing that happens there. Yes. And partly it's because there's kind of no third option. It's like go to a conventional doctor. They're either going to send you to a chiropractor mm-hmm. or a, or a, um, I guess a massage therapist. Right. Sure. Or they're going to give you medicine and recommend surgery, but there's no like, there's no third magic way where you go to a doctor and they 
I don't know what. Stick a needle in there and let some air out. Right. <laughs> right. And so, but, but, and so at the chiropractor's office, like he's doing all this deep tissue stuff and it, and it feels great and it's, and it's believable, right? Because I've got this back problem and he starts working on my, on my, uh, thighs right your, your legs are quads piriformis that type of stuff sure yeah and i'm just like huh that's interesting i mean i don't disbelieve this because yeah right those are huge muscles and they're all screwed up and he's working on them and he believes they have they have a ripple effect on my back and i believe him that all seems perfectly logical but then you know right at the end of the second uh the second meeting with him he put me on the table with the little middle part that drops down and mm-hmm you know, and did some sort of like adjustment. Hmm. And that all felt a little bit like maybe uh, like a chiropractic. Sure. Rather than a, rather than something that was strictly based in, I'm working on your muscles. It was much more like, I'm going to do this thing that we do. Right. Where, where we crack your back and, and, you know, all this positivity follows from that as opposed to just like, I'm working on these major muscle groups and, and, uh, and that's going to help, you know, that's going to reset your structure. Yeah. So, you know, so that's the type of thing where I'm a little bit, but, uh, but I have that same suspicion with, with conventional doctors too. You remember my, I mean, I was so resistant to taking bipolar medication Mm -hmm. because I thought those guys were just as, just as voodoo. That turned out in that case I was wrong. But there's, you know, there's a lot of voodoo in everything. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not resistant when I'm there. I'm like, do your thing. I'm super into, I like, I will, I will obey. But I'm a, I'm a little bit doubtful about, about every, about, about all human beings and all their funny games. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that a lot of the things that uh, maybe all of the things that the doctor told you about how to stand and, uh, and, and hunching and sitting and things like that. I mean, those were the same exact problems that I had uh, most of my life, I would say. And that if, for me, it took a conscious effort to make that a more normal thing for me to do, to stand correctly, sit correctly. Um, it was not. You know, and like, like you were saying, like, like now you're feeling like you, it's a wake up call for me. It was absolutely a wake up call too. going from thinking like, ah, you know, like I can live with this to No, I really can't live with this and I need to do something different. Like I never like since high school, like I never went to a gym to like lift weights. Like that was never a thing that I wanted to do or thought would be fun. Like I used to jog a lot until, well my back hurt too much to do it, you know, but like that was jogging and, and, and that type of thing was something that I did. But I like the idea of like going to a gym and like lifting weights, that was never a thing that I thought I would ever want to do. And when I was in that way with my back, I never thought I'd be able to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I never, I never considered that like that would, that was simply not, not something Dan would ever be able to do. Maybe Dan will be lucky and maybe won't have pain somehow one day. Um, but I totally understand what you mean. And also another issue that, that I found, I didn't have the thing with my hands 
mm-hmm. uh, pointing in a, in a different way. But what the doctor pointed out to me was she's like, look at, look at the way that you walk, look at your feet and how your feet don't necessarily point straight forward. They kind of point outwards a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I've, I've noticed that. And she says, well, that has to do with posture and core strength and hip strength. She's like, what happens is your the the muscles like your piriformis muscles and other things and back muscles actually get so tight that it actually like turns your it rotates your hips in a way that your feet almost kind of want to point out and so like learning to stand differently and walk differently by how my feet pointed like all of this stuff i had to do that took forever to do but yeah i mean it's the same stuff that that you're going through there but you know like i feel like there is an end to it, you know, like it, you, you, you will improve. Yeah. If I work, I yeah. mean, that's, that's the thing. And yeah. I you've got to put the energy and effort in. I bet 75% of the people listening to this show are either, I mean, once again, this, um, this program, which started off when we were so young, Dan. Yes. Has now become uh, like a uh, like a geriatric show, <laughs> right? What what are your what are your medical problems today? But but I but I do feel like this is the this is what happens. You never you never think like oh I can slouch for thirty years and everything will be fine. You um like all this stuff comes home to roost, and thirty years of sitting in a chair, you 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 think like well, I'm not in very good shape. I should probably get out in the sun sometimes and exercise. I mean, this is true for everybody that works in an office or sits at a computer. Yeah. But if you're not, and you look over at your office mate who's like sitting on a ball or working at a standing desk or something like that, and you're like, eh, what a nerd. But this is this is one of the things that can happen. Your back goes out. Yep. And there's no reason for my back to have gone out except that I don't, that I haven't, maintain my core right that's it and um and you know maintaining your core is just it's not like it's not like hard like building a house from scratch it's just hard because it's just boring and arduous and easy to not do it easy to not do it that's right uh so much easier to not do it but not if you then are walking around in pain and incapacitated. So I don't, uh, I don't know how many more wake up calls I can stand, frankly, about sick of them now. Yeah. Maybe you don't need any more. Maybe this is it. Many damn wake up calls. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's the thing about wake up calls. You can ignore them over and over and over. You can ignore your wake up calls until you're lying in a, lying on a sordid bed surrounded by filth. As happens, as happens. Well, our first sponsor is actually something that, uh, John, you could use. It is Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is something that people of all levels can get into, whether you're already exercising and you want to up your game or whether you're in the same situation that John's in and that I was in where you're recovering from an injury of some kind. I mean, you there is a course on Beachbody On Demand that will help you improve regardless of what your goals are or what your current level of fitness is or isn't. They've got super effective workouts. You can do these from the comfort of your own living room. You can do them 24-7 
And uh, these guys are the best. Why are they the best? They've got a history of success. This is the company behind P90X, which I'm sure you've heard of. A friend of mine did P90X. And uh, I used to think of him as just sort of the typical programmer, you know, uh, sitting there eating munchies, getting fast food every day for lunch, and uh, and generally just sort of gaining weight. And um, he was a good friend of mine. And one day he said, you know, I'm going to start this P90X thing. I said, this is fantastic. And in what was a shockingly short period of time, I could see these changes in him. And after he completed it, he was working in a different job by the, by the end of it. But he sent me a picture and he's sitting there holding his girlfriend up over his head. They had gone dancing together and he's holding her up over his head. And, uh, and he looked like a completely different human. So any, anything is possible. And they have so many courses like this. It's not all. It's not all P90X. Maybe you don't want to do P90X. That's you don't have the time for that. You only have ten minutes a day. Well, guess what? They've got workouts that are short as ten minutes, and most of them, many of them, don't require any extra equipment at all. And the time that it takes you to drive and park at the gym, you could already be finished working out. Think of it like that. And they've got hundreds of workouts again for all fitness levels: bodybuilding, weight training, cardio, hit yoga, dance workouts. They've got workouts you can do with your kids. Like you name it, it's there. You watch it on your computer. You watch it on your uh, smart TV, your tablet, your phone, Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast. There's an app for everything, everything. And uh, there's over a million people doing this. So there's a big community around you if, if this is the kind of thing you want to do, get healthier, get in better shape. So here's a special deal. You can do this. You can get into Beachbody On Demand, absolutely free. I'm going to actually be starting the P90X pretty soon because that's what I'm, I've been, like my goal is, my schedule. But you can find your own there and just go and look at this. They, the program grid that they've got there is crazy. And again, you don't need any extra equipment. You can just jump in and start doing this stuff. There's no excuses. So here's the deal, special free trial membership, and here's how it works. These are old school. They're OG, okay? You're going to text the word roadwork, no spaces, one word, doesn't matter if it's caps or not. Text the word roadwork to 303030303030 on your phone. That's it. You don't have to go fill out a form. You don't have to go to do all this uh, jumping through hoops or anything. It's old school. You text the word roadwork to 303030. You'll get full access to the entire platform for free. Every single workout, the nutritional information stuff, all the support, totally free. And, uh, and I would give it a shot. Go there. I'm sure there's going to be a course that you and uh, maybe you and your spouse, maybe even you and your kids will want to do. It's great stuff and it really does work. Text roadwork to 303030. And we really appreciate the support of Beachbody On Demand. Well, I am glad that you are being more proactive, at least, about it. And, I mean, do you, what's your, what's your course of action? What's the next thing you've, you're going to do? You're going to keep, you're going to go back? You're going to start some kind of physical, well, you said you're doing physical therapy. I'm doing physical therapy. We want to gonna... know that you're, you're working on it, I I'm think, as, keep... as your, your, your fans. I'm going to keep going to, uh, to this event or to the, you know, to this, uh, chiropractor and to the physical therapist and 
keep working on uh, on my structure. I feel like if the relationship with the chiropractor starts to evolve into one where I'm going in more and more and getting adjustments or like, or I'm sort of more and more now using it as a, uh, or, or it's being employed as a kind of regular maintenance, I'm probably going to switch to something that's, that's more just rooted in like PT or personal trainer or something like that. Just because I'm, because enough of what is happening in a chiropractic adjustment is opaque to me Mm -hmm. that I'm not sure that I, 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 and in general, like if I'm going to do a maintenance type of thing, I'd like it to be something that I understand like strength training or stretching. I was very gratified or interested, I guess more, uh, at how disdainful they were of yoga and, um, just that so many yoga poses involve putting your spine in that unnatural posture, the mm. one that is a, basically equivalent to slouching in a chair, <laughs> downward dog or whatever. You know, right, your, sure. your back isn't arched, it's, it's over-arched. And um, so they're like, no, 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 don't do yoga, which gets me off the hook of so many people in my life, including my daughter's mother and Jason Finn, always hassling me about going to hot yoga. Yeah. So many now you can, people. now you can tell them you're not supposed to do it and get out Look, of it. I can't do hot yoga. It's a, it's a cult. Um, but I do, you know, I, I mean, I think six months from now I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to have pursued a course of, of action and yes. I'm excited. I'm excited to do it. But like a lot of those things, from where I stand, I'm excited to have done it already. And, um, yeah. and then once you get to a place and you've done it, you're glad to have done it. It's just the middle part where I have to do it. And I went to see my psychiatrist yesterday, uh, whom I hadn't visited in like four or five months. And we've been talking about, we've been talking, we've been having a conversation that was prompted by this conversation you and I have been having about happiness. Mm. I brought it up with him and, you know, and he gave me sort of the usual back and forth uh, mental health professional stuff like, well, you know, happiness could be thought of as the absence of sadness. And I was like, horse shit. (laughs) And he's like, well, yeah, um, (laughs) You know, maybe, you know, and he's just kind of like, maybe this, maybe that. Um, and he's like, I just don't, there's no way to talk about this without you getting mad yeah. <laughs> at, at me. Um, and so, uh, so we started talking about the Stoics. Um, and I was like, well, uh, like I could, I, I read the Stoics more or less, you know, in co- a couple of different times in college. And um, identified with them. But, 
you know, I, I read them in, in the, in the context of reading about the Greeks and all the different Greeks. Right. And so, and even then I was, I was very aware how easy it is as a, as an undergraduate to, you know, read some, read some text within the Greeks and decide, Oh, you know, like I'm no longer a, um, you know, I'm, I, I have become, I've become a stoic, like the works of Marcus Aurelius have like changed me and now I am his devotee. Uh, and I didn't ever want to be someone's devotee and I didn't ever want to in college pick a doctrine and, and become it. Um, walk around, you know, this is what happens to people that read Ayn Rand and they're just suddenly like, all my, all my questions are answered. But so he was saying, you know, I want you to go, there's a, you know, there's a lot we can learn from the Stoics about mindfulness. Hmm. And I was like, you're driving me crazy right now. (laughs) Like, really? And he's like, yeah, I want you to, I want you to go back to the Stoics and read and then but think about it in the context of of what we talk about now, like contemporary mindfulness. Like go read Heraclitus and and um, and uh, what is his name? Uh, like uh, Epictetus, Epictetus specifically. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, uh, okay. I mean, all right. This comports with my um, my self identity, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to go read the secret and I'm not going to go to my, my sister's mindfulness retreat in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. but I will go read the Greeks. And if that's the way in to understanding mindfulness, which I, which I just am, I'm just, I, I am reviled by the idea of it. And it's not wait, wait, reviled, whoa, whoa. reviled by mindfulness practice. Yeah. Because I do not, I mean, it is my mental illness that contentment and, um, presence or like, uh, like active presence in the now feels like a kind of complacent surrender and my own um, hopscotching between the present and the past and and uh, active engagement with every failure I've ever even like gotten a splatter of paint on me from that was a tortured sentence structure but but uh you know, like that all feels engaged. It's very much like when I was suffering from depression and my, and the, the, um, and the voices that were telling me that I understood the world better than people who weren't depressed and that I wasn't depressed. I just saw clearly. 
and this is a thing that that this is why depression is so hard for people that don't have depression to understand and and why it's so difficult to treat because people who are depressed don't seek treatment for it because they think they feel bad for good reason they see things more clearly they have a they have a better understanding of the world and the world sucks and they suck and they're right to be sad. Um, so when somebody that's not depressed says like, oh, you just need to, you know, you just need to get out in the sun. They're like, oh my God, you fucking idiot. Right. They don't understand. Well, and also like, oh, you need to take medicine. And they're like, so I can just, I mean, what, what a depressed person thinks is not that there's something chemically wrong with them, but that the medicine is going to blind them to the truth. It's going to dull their perception. It's going to turn right. them into a zombie. Right. And there's, I think in the early days of depression medication, there were some drugs that like turned you into a, just like a, a Stepford wife. Um, but that's why, you know, it's, it's so hard to get into someone's head when they have a mental illness and and currently, the one that plagues me is that the idea of – because what this psychiatrist is saying is you're not going to ever understand what happiness is if you're, if you're flagellating yourself uh, for every little – like for every thing you have f- failed to accomplish, including like saving the world in every minute and every action of the day and also like obsessed with all the things that are yet to be done and trying to judge yourself through a, through a the lens of history. I mean, all these things that are just like, it's impossible. You couldn't possibly be happy or even, um, or even take any pleasure in it in anything because it's all covered with like, uh, soot. Hmm. From this big pyre you're burning every, you know, this like signal fire. So, but for me, to, even sitting in his office, I was staring out the window like, so you're saying just like live in the moment? Like what a bunch of surfer claptrap. And he's like, I know, I know you, I know where you're coming from. You know, like I don't think Oprah is happy either, but it's a, you know, anyway, so, so he's like scrambling and he's like, Epictetus, like Epictetus. All right. (laughs) I can put my hands on that, you know? And because I always, I, you know, I loved, I loved reading the Greeks and I think I've said it before that it's one of those things that happens early on in college where these, these marble busts that you see as, these old wise people of in antiquity, um, the right, their writings have survived and you read them and you realize, Oh my goodness, it's really contemporary writing and thinking like they, they're really accessible. They don't, they're not these, these marble busts like they're, they're, uh, they're revealed in their writing and, and there's so much writing. I mean, what's, if you tried to read an academic paper, published at the university of Washington right now that was about the Godfather. You wouldn't even be able to read it because academic language has become such unintelligible gibberish, even to the people who write it. 
and read it for a living. I mean, they're just, they're locked into a, into a gibberish sp- spiral that none of them can get, get out of because they're the words that their lexicon has become their job. And if you try and break out of it and write in a popular format, you're not, you're no longer, or in a readable format, you're no longer practicing your academic, uh, you're no longer speaking academic. And so you're, I guess that's what's happening over there. You, your work won't be taken seriously or something. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy universe, but, but that is the type of writing that you expect the Greeks to be doing. Yeah. You know, like you expect it to be as impenetrable as Hegel. Um, but it's not, it's chatty. And so, so I always loved that stuff, but I, and you know, when you have those those little small epiphanies, like, oh wow, Socrates really handed it to that guy that time. Ha ha, woo! That's a good put down. I'm going to use that. You know, yeah. Um, and the little, you know, the little aphorisms and stuff. But the idea of reading uh, reading something and using it as a as a self help manual. Mm-hmm honestly has never occurred to me. And I feel like if I do, if I go back and I'm like, if I start talking on this program about like, listen, Seneca, like, let's just talk about Seneca for a while. It's just, this, no one's going to listen to this show anymore. But I'm, but I hope, I hope to find something there that can snap me out of my prejudice. And, um, and at least allow me some toehold in believing that there's a path to mindfulness for me that, that does not go through the great swamps of fake Buddhism that have kind of polluted what, you know, polluted thinking, I think, uh, in my estimation, in a, in a sector of American culture that's like, well, it's not Buddhism exactly. That's sort of more of an amalgam of, the parts of Buddhism that sounded good to you Mm -hmm. combined with some just woo woo shit that you're making up as you go and what you imagine was true for the native Americans, although have no basis to think so. And you know, I mean, we're, we, we've all seen it. We've all seen since the seventies, the rise of this kind of American spirituality that is a smorgasbord of just the, just the parts of these various ancient religions that resonate with, um, with people in Sausalito, California. And I just, ugh, I don't want it touching me. You know, I don't even want yoga pants like on the floor of my bedroom, but (laughs) you know, but, but I also (laughs) am a, I'm also like an old school comparative religionist. Right. And so, so if we can, if, if I can approach it from that direction and just be like William James about it mm-hmm. and say, all right, well, let's see where all this stuff. And I think that's at the root of it too. I mean, I think initially that was probably at the root of the idea. Like where, what do all these things have in common and what can we take from it? That's kind of non-denominational. Um, that seems to be true across 
across every religion and just distill it. And it, and it, it just got attached to all the woo-woo stuff because everything good is corrupted mm-hmm. immediately by its practitioners. Uh, so maybe, I, you know, I, I've, I've spent my life doing things the hard way and, and trying to reinvent the wheel. So maybe, maybe that's what I'm doing too, but mindfulness, Dan, that's where I'm headed. Well, I mean, I, I think however you get to that is pretty cool. I got very, very, I mean, I know you don't listen to back to work, uh, but we talked a lot about mindfulness over the years. Uh, on that show because mindfulness was something that I I got very very into for another another kind of like wake up call thing that I had years ago um, when I was super super stressed I was working at a startup I was super crazy stressed all the time I was flying back and forth from Florida to San Francisco all the time I was in charge of a team of developers who were in Orlando and uh, they were reported to me and I was responsible for all the development. And yet everyone else that I worked with was in San Francisco and any mistake or problem that ever happened, it was, you know, it, on the technical side, I was responsible for it. And after doing that for, you know, a couple of years, uh, I had just developed like, I mean, crazy anxiety crazy levels of stress was getting like heart palpitations. I got GERD, uh, all this other, yeah, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, heartburn that doesn't ever go away to the point where, um, the doc was like, we're going to do an upper endoscopy and just look around in there and see what's going on. Cause you know, maybe you have pancreatic cancer or something. So we'll just take a look. And I didn't. And, uh, but at the end of it, you know, the prescription was, um, uh, to basically take, uh, you know, not Prilosec, but Nexium or one of those things. And I'm like, okay, how long, how long till this goes away? And he kind of laughed. He's like, no, I mean, like this, you're going to be on this forever. This is, you just have this now. And I said, well, I don't want to just have it. He's like, yeah, but like no one just stops taking Nexium. Like once you're in this world, like you have this now. And I talked to a few of my friends. They're like, oh, yeah, I've been taking Nexium for like eight years. My other friend's like, oh, I take Prilosec OTC every day. I have for like three years. And like everyone turned out that I knew like was taking this. And uh, I even went to another doctor for something else. It was like I was there with my wife and she had something. And um, the doctor and I were just sort of chatting. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get off, you know, taking Nexium. And he's like, <laughs> right, good luck with that. I've been taking it for five years. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll be the first person to get off of it. But all the stress and stuff, the therapist that I was seeing, she kind of introduced me to uh, like, like um, techniques to like relax. And one of them, she gave me this CD from Dr. Weil. And she's like, just listen to this. He has some breathing techniques that can help you like with relaxation. I'm like, he's, well, the, he's the guy with the beard. White he, beard. he does have the white beard and he's a little bit of a sort of a Santa Claus kind mm-hmm. of a vibe going with him. Santa Claus vibe. Yeah. And I listened to the CD and I tried the breathing and it helped me. It, I, there's this one kind of a breathing that you do that you do in like stressful situations or when you're feeling anxiety or stress, which was all the time. 
And, uh, and so I tried it and it, it seemed to help. And I said, there's, there might be something to this breathing thing. And so I started like researching who, who talks about breathing? Like, what is, what is this thing with like, where can I learn more about breathing? And I found that talk about it in yoga, of course, but I'm like, I don't want to do yoga. Uh, but then they talk about it a lot in, in, you know, Buddhist meditation, which is specifically like mindfulness meditation or Vipassana or insight meditation. They're all uh, essentially the same thing, different words. And, um, and I said, well, like if this sort of breathing exercise worked, what if I were to actually try like an actual meditation practice? Uh, and so I started doing that and that also seemed to help. Uh, and through that process, I actually started to learn about uh not the sort of like the kind of Buddhism that you're talking about, which is like where they sort of cherry pick the things that they like and say, Oh, you can apply this to your regular daily life. Do this in between lines of code and in between your emails to do, you know, have a moment of mindfulness, not like that, but like learning the, the, you know, the actual religion of Buddhism. And, uh, and I did that through uh, listening to a couple different podcasts and, started to really get into it, started to really read about it and started to find a local Sangha, which is a Buddhist community. And I eventually just got very much to the point where like, this was something I was very, very interested in much more so than I had ever been with my other religion I was born into, which I never really connected with Judaism at all. Um, the culture, sure, because like that was my family, but the religion itself, I never resonated with me. It never, I never felt a connection to that. Uh, but for me, Buddhism was like, whoa, like this, th- this made sense to me in a lot of ways. And, uh, and so my meditation practice became uh, a really big part of my life for many years. I don't do it as much anymore uh, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, 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 and I'm sad that I don't do it. I wish, I wish I did. I need to kind of reprioritize it. And I've been meaning to reprioritize it. And it's funny because you say, you know, like, I don't have time to meditate. And, and that's like saying, oh, I'm, I'm too sick to go to the doctor. Like, that's when you really need it most. And I'm well aware of that. And they have a term for it. They say you fell, fell off the cushion is what they say when you stop meditating. But it, I'm, when I say serious, I mean, I was doing minimum one hour of sitting meditation uh, a day, sometimes twice that much. Um, so like, this was a serious thing. And I did that for many years. And if I was listening to a podcast, chances are I was like a Buddhist podcast. If I was reading something, I was learning, I was reading a translation of the Pali Canon or something, you know, like for me, and, and I was all about the mindfulness aspect of it and the concentration aspect of it. And it had, even, even though I meditate infrequently now, it had tremendous lasting effects on my life, more so than anything else I've done uh, in my life in a, in a, in a mental capacity. Um, and so for me, like that was a complete game changer. Like there's people who knew me before that and people who, who know me after and some people who, you know, have known me throughout the process and they're like, they, they, they noticed a change too. So, you know, but I didn't. I've, I'm not very much unaware of mindfulness through the the Greek uh, angle. I've never even. I was completely unaware of that. I didn't even know. Is that something I want to look into? 
But if you ever want to talk about like mindfulness stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, the way you, I, I'm not, my experience with it is very different from what the way you sort of described it initially, but I have seen that appropriation of it. And there's all these apps that you need uh, now, apparently to meditate, you need to track your meditation with an app and you need to, the app has to remind you to meditate and to be mindful. And, and like, there's people who are like, I'm like, they're like, Dan, what app did you use when you meditate? I'm like, I didn't use an app. Like, well, how do you track your progress? Like, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, it's not about tracking progress. It's, it's not about that. It's about developing concentration and, and, uh, and, and understanding your, your own thinking process and your own reactivity and your own dynamic with the world. And, um, I, I don't, Think it, John, that it has to be a a pa- You mentioned that it was passive in some way. Um, I think that 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 you can take some of the things of mindfulness and uh, practice and and interpret it, or that people interpret it as being like, um, like you're just supposed to observe and, and uh, observe yourself and observe the world. And in some way you're sort of just like in the passenger seat. I, I would say that the opposite of that is true. I would say that I, that if you have an established mindfulness practice, that you're way more engaged uh, with the world through that mindfulness practice than, than you ever, than I, at least for me, than I ever was uh, outside of that. And I mean, I like, I was serious about it. I was like the five precepts, man. Like I'm living the life. You know what I mean? Like I did, I did it all. And, um, but I learned a lot through that process and still those, those many of those things help me today. Like when, like, um, that was a big push for me to, to kind of lose that sentimentality of the attachment that I had to like, like objects, like why am I saving this pair of socks from high school? Because you know, like, I wore them on the day I got my driver's license or something still, you know, like I don't need to be saving those anymore. It it led to all kinds of things like that. But like, I used to talk to Merlin about that quite a bit on, on back to work until I think we kind of both burnt out on the the topic, but I'm interested to hear about the Greek thing. Like that's something that I didn't, I had no idea that they were doing that. Well, I think, um, to whatever degree, there is truth available to people. It's been discovered multiple times. Right. And there's no one path to it. Um, and ultimately you, you strip away all the method and get to some, something universal. Right. Um, and so all of this is kind of um, what, I guess, attends a state of mind that you can achieve if you seek it. Mm-hmm. And my disability is that I don't, from from where I stand, not knowing what it's like, I can't imagine wanting to seek it. Mm-hmm. Um just as someone who's never had a kid doesn't 
have the capacity to understand what it is to be a parent. Yeah. Just as someone who's depressed doesn't know what it's like to not be depressed. Mm -hmm. I do not know what it's like to be mindful. And so I cannot want to be mindful. Um, right. And, and I think there are plenty of people who don't know what it's like to be mindful and want to be mindful, but I actively resist it because I think <laughs> that the wisdom that I think that, that you know, I'm committed to having, um, squeezed every last bit of wisdom out of being, uh, focused on, Phantasms, mm. Mm. and um, what? What so, do you mean by focus on phantasms? I, I, I mean, I, I inherited a sense of duty, and I have, uh, and and kind of like the American War on Terror, or the. For that matter, you know the um, the belief that you can that within America or in the world you can achieve equality. Um, it's a goal. Like victory in the war on terror is a um, borderless goal. There's no such thing as winning the war on terror. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've started an endless war and likewise the sort of ideal of equality for everyone is unattainable and it's an endless war in that case there is no point at which you can say we've achieved mission accomplished you can't hang that banner up on the forecastle of any sort of uh progressive boat right, right. it's always right. it's a, it's always a work in progress but that means which is great but it also means there's no there's no uh, victory because every victory you have every small victory victory with a small v just points you to all the battles left to fight and it's it's a it's a human thing to do um, the thing about world war two was that the point was to get to the center of Berlin and Tokyo, at which point they would stop fighting. You'd get to the head of the Hydra and cut it off and then the war is over. Yeah. And there were a lot of things you had to do at the end after the war, you had to rebuild Germany and Japan, or you had to deal with all these refugees or you had to figure out and how to deal with the Soviet Union, but it was very clear, like, on this day and the front page of the newspaper, the war is over. And the the war that George Bush started, the global war on terrorism, will never be over. There's no point at which there will not be terrorists that are attacking American interests somewhere. And as long as it's posited that way, as that we're fighting a war on terrorism... It's just, you know, it, it will justify the military for the next hundred years. The only possible way to win a war, this war on terrorism is what? How could you do, how could you do it? And 
And so in my own life and in my own mind, there is an unwinnable war and has been my whole life where every victory I achieve just shines a light on how much more there is to do and how what I'd been working toward, what I thought was the goal, what I thought was the Berlin I was trying to get to, turns out it wasn't at all. Turns out it was, you know, there's always another Berlin further on down the road, a bigger Berlin. Um, so, so it's a, <clears throat> it's a pathology I recognize in the world all around me, a kind of goallessness or unachievable, unachievable, unachievably broad goal. You cannot, um, you cannot achieve. And it's, and it's, I think maybe one of the best critiques of the, of contemporary liberalism because the goals are also, um, so impossibly broad that they almost are, are classifiable as magical thinking. Like you just can't do these things. You can't set these as the goals. There have to be concrete goals. There have to be short-term goals. You have to be able to say like, we did, we did something good, not just that everything we do just shows how bad we are. Um, and personally, every, what you would, I think, describe as success in my life is it, they just haunt me because of how in uh, how small they are and how in uh, ineffectual they've been at accomplishing my big impossible goal, which is to help the world and to make the world better, to make to you know to whatever my gifts are, they came attached to a, an obligation, a responsibility to use those gifts to make the world better. And, and I feel like I have not done that and that there's so much more I can do and there's so much more work I should be doing mm -hmm. in order to turn what I can do into what I should have done. And the things that I have done, they just seem, um, so small. They just seem like, like, um, just little, little mouse poops. And so the idea that what I'm really looking for is to just be present is a, it's a completely different language yeah. than the one I'm describing. No, I understand. And it doesn't, and it just appears to be like, Oh, we'll pull over into this rest area and be all good. And I know that that's, I know that's not true because I know also that the unwinnable war in my head is like unwinnable war is unwinnable. Um, it is a pathology and it's reinforced by the fact that this is a, this is a, this is a typical human misadventure, right? Like the war on terror is a pathology. The, the like universe, universal human rights are a kind of, um, our kind of dream state. Uh, so how do I, how do I not model myself on, on these, on this tendency for human beings to have, to make the mistake of, of setting imaginary goal, setting a goal that is that where, where they haven't really thought, thought that goal through all the way.
Like, what is the what is the end game of the war on terror? What is the end game of of the the current liberal or the current leftist sort of uh, desire to make a better world? Is the end game a gradual like improvement in the quality of life for everybody? Well, in that case, you can we should be celebrating in the street every day because life now is incontrovertibly better globally than it was even five years ago, let alone 50. Like in terms of like any kind of big metric, poverty, hunger, disease, Mm -hmm. rights, uh, you know, legal rights and also social rights. But we don't, you wouldn't listen to any sort of, uh, contemporary progressive speech making and, and hear them hear at any point, any sense that we're doing good, you know, it's the, the, uh, the ideology is completely that we are, it would make you think if you had just arrived on the scene that we are utterly, utterly, utterly failing to, to improve. And it's basically, that's the voice inside me. And, and, and believe me, the million, millions of times that, that people close to me have said, like, have tried to compliment me or congratulate me, it falls on as deaf an ear in me as if you, you know, as if you walked up to a protester and said, you know, the, the, um, there, you know, there's more clean water available in India now than at any time in the, in history. They'd just be like, what are you fucking talking about? That is great. That's nice. Thank you. But we're talking about police accountability or something. It's like, wow, it's all the same. We're, it's all like part of the same plan, right? The overarching plan of like, is life improving? Are we doing a good job? Are human beings is the, is the human project on a path to something? Mm-hmm. Are we on the way to somewhere? And, and honestly, that is a maybe pathological. Um, that idea, maybe the human project is just to sit mindfully stewing in our, in the rising tide of shit we're creating until we mindfully suffocate on our own bacteria. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe when Jodie Foster's dad arrives in his, um, time dimensional spaceship, he can fill us in on what the, what the, inter, uh, the intergalactic Congress really thinks about us. <laughs> but for me, like my organizing principle is that human beings are not just a, an organism that is expanding to the point where it's going to choke itself as a, as a sentient or as a, uh, you know, a self-conscious organism, we can, uh, we can affect our own growth and development and make it into something good, do something that is, and, and I mean, the, I guess sustainable is a word that applies both to that and to 
like it, what the connection between sustainable and mindful is. I think it's, I think there's a connection there, at least in feeling. And it seems like humans on earth are, are ultimately going to have to pursue sustainability rather than growth as a, as a highest good. And that's going to involve some hard changes, you know, hard, hard changes. We think about sustainable as being this kind of beautiful. We can just make this beautiful transition over to sustainable from growth, but it's not going to be beautiful to get to sustainable. Um, it's going to be hard and, and ugly probably for generations in between. And that may be where, you know, that may be where I am to get from the all against all world that I'm currently in to some kind of sustainability. Like there's going to be like the rivers will run with blood. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it just, maybe I just read Seneca and start sitting and staring out the windows. Maybe I go back and read the cynics. Maybe, that's, maybe they're closer to <laughs> closer to my native state. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm, I feel a little inarticulate today trying to describe my state of mind because I'm not, I'm not wholly on top of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think about it. I think like most people, I think my mental state is reality and everything else is a kind of, um, terra incognita. And so to, to try and think about my reality as um, as a condition, like I've, I do it, I, I've done it before and I do it, I try to do it somewhat regularly, but there's all, you, you always walk through another door and figure out, oh, uh, there, here's a whole nother parking garage of my reality that I have not subjected to this test. And I got to wheel this all out and, and um, realize that this too is is not some universal architecture I'm living according to, but is a set of beliefs and emotional beliefs, emotional sort of half truths that I'm basing my actions on. I'm judging my my actions according to. And that's all malleable, right? You could, I could, I could, uh, new broom sweeps clean it. You know, I could, um, I could change these things as, as, um, as I'm trying to change my posture. Cause ultimately they are a posture. And if I can stand up straight and put my shoulders back, mm. 
and breathe deeply, so too can I stand up straight out of the out of the weight of you know all the all this like slouchy ideology and you know shake it off and breathe deep 